while you're standing, and we'll read and we'll pray and let you be seated. Acts chapter number 15. So we, tonight we continue this series on a choice servant is what we've been looking at the past few weeks. And for the majority, if not all of this time, we've been looking at the life of Stephen. And tonight we'll look at a new character and try to glean a little bit from the life of one of the Bible's more obscure characters. But boy, what a lesson the Lord's given us tonight in Acts chapter number 15. We're going to skip through Acts chapter 15 to save you from standing the entire time. So pick up in verse number 1 of Acts 15. The Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. There rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Now skip down, if you will. We're going to look all the way down to verse number, verse number 20. The Bible says that after this dispute had taken place and they gave the report of the Gentiles and uh, they disputed with them that they desire, we're going to pick up in verse number 22, there's their desire to combat this in Antioch. It says, then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men, there's our word tonight, chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men, there it is again, unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you send us what we need, and I pray we'd receive what you sent. Bless, Lord, I pray your will be done. Lord, give us liberty, give us boldness, give us discernment night, tonight to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you can read through the lines, there are people that have crept into the church and people that have crept in to the lives of those who have trusted Christ and been saved by grace through faith, and they are subverting them. They are undermining them by bringing, trying to bring the Old Testament law back and uh, mixing things up, if you will. And we see where in verse number 2 of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are disputing with them. They are combating this, which I believe you need to do. And verse number 7, we see it again where Peter is also doing the same. And 
So the Bible says they get together in verse number 22 that it pleased the apostles and elders, the whole church, to send men to Antioch that they might deliver to them the truths that Paul and Barnabas have been disputing with them about. They're kind of kind of a Paul Revere. They're sending writers ahead to hit this head on. So the Bible says in verse number 22, it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church, notice to send chosen men. Chosen men. If you look at the end of verse number 22, you'll see one man in particular. We need to see tonight. The Bible says Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas. So now we're going to look at the life of Silas just for a few minutes. We don't know a lot about Silas. There's only four chapters of the Word of God that are given to telling us about Silas. But Silas was one of these men that were chosen to go ahead uh, and to deliver the message to the church on how they could combat those that were subverting the lives of the saved. If you look down in verse number 26, the Bible says that these men have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Silas, and he's going into a war zone, basically, where the lies have been sowed, and they're subverting the word of God. And so Silas is going in to help combat this. Now, we look down. I want to look all the way down to verse 33. After Silas and Judas have delivered their messages, the Bible says, and after they had tarried their space... They were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles after they have delivered their message and done their job. But the Bible says in verse 34, notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. So when everybody headed back and everybody was done with the job, they delivered the message, the Bible says it pleased Silas to abide there still. And so when I read that verse, I began to think about why Silas hung around. Why Silas would stay there a little while after the job was done. So I I began a personal study on the life of Silas as best we can look. And here's what's interesting. When you start studying the life of Silas, he oftentimes comes off, in my view, as a sidekick. The name Silas is mentioned 13 times in the Bible. And over half of those times, you'll find Silas follows somebody else. You'll see uh, Judas and Silas. You'll see Paul and Silas. And out of the 13 times that Silas's name is mentioned, Silas is following somebody over half of those times. I want you to know it's easy to overlook people like Silas, especially when the guy in front of Silas is Paul. I mean, Paul's the headliner. I mean, Paul's the famous evangelist. And you think about Paul and Silas as somewhat of his sidekick that is there. But I want you to know tonight, there's something tonight that can be learned from the life of Silas that gives us a different perspective on service that you won't see as much in the life of Paul. Why? Because Silas had some qualities being the second man. Silas was always after Paul, or he was after Judas, and those qualities that he had made him, what the Bible says in verse 22 and verse number 25, a chosen man. He was someone that God chose. So tonight, even though we look at Silas as a sidekick, there are some traits in the life of Silas that I believe we need to glean from that will help us be a better servant. It may sound redundant tonight as we look at this series on a choice servant, but understand this, that being a choice servant requires a choice of service. We see in the life of Silas, he did not mind being a servant. Now, that's not something a lot of us sign up for. Every one of us wants to be the Apostle Paul. 
There's something inside of me that wants to be the Paul and somebody else can be the Silas. I want to be the first guy that's mentioned. I don't want to be the second guy. I don't want to be Robin. I want to be Batman, you know? I mean, how many people want to sign up? I want to be Robin. No, I, look, I want to be Batman. I want to be the first name mentioned. And yet we see Silas was a chosen servant of God. And I believe we'll see through the scripture tonight. It's because Silas chose to be a servant. He didn't have to be the number one guy. He was fine being the number two guy. Now, I want you to know tonight that even though we want to serve God, I think all of us want to serve God, but wanting to serve God in and of itself is not enough. I think a lot of us get in love with the idea of service. I remember as a, <clears throat> as a teenager, my mom and dad got married at 18. But the Carney, I figured I could get married at 18. I mean, I was just as smart and mature as they were. I thought I was. So I could get married at 18, and I'm talking to my dad. I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to get married. I want to get married. You got married at 18? I want to get married at 18. And I didn't get married until I was 25, by the way. It gives you a clue of how mature I was. i never forget what my dad told me in his bedroom one day. He said, son, I think you're in love with the idea of getting married. You're not in love. You're just in love with the idea of getting married. It's a romantic thought of having your own home and your own wife and having your own rules and all of those things. But there's a lot that comes along with marriage other than just wanting to be married. Now, can I tell you, amen, Brother Michael. Amen. You hear that? Amen. Yeah. Brother Michael's waving his hanky up there tonight. Amen. Amen. He got it figured out. That's why he waited a little while to get married. Can I tell you tonight, wanting to serve God is great. That's great that you want to. But understand that just wanting to serve God and to be a servant of God and to be in the service of God is not enough. You can just be in love with the idea of being a servant, but understand there's a lot more that comes along with service than just wanting to. And I believe in the life of Silas, we're going to see three essential standards for service. So tonight, we're going to look at the message, very simple thought, on the choice or choosing service. Choosing service. If you want to be a servant of God, Silas shows us how. He was always second in line. He was not the first guy, but we see him serving faithfully. Notice, if you will, the first thing in verse 22. The Bible says it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church. Now watch these next few words. You need to see this. To send chosen men. Look at verse 25. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to, watch this, send chosen men. Look down at verse 27, the Bible says, we have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas. Now, notice in all three of those verses, it talks about Silas was someone who was sent. What we don't see in this verse is what Silas thought about it. We don't see where Silas volunteered and raised his hand. We just saw where he was a chosen man and that he was sent. So, number one tonight, can I tell you, that choosing service requires submission to direction. Submission to direction. Silos would be used of God because I believe in all three of those verses, if you look close, you'll see that word sent. He was submissive and submitted to the direction of God for his life. Now let me tell you something. If there is no submission, there's no service. So I want to serve God. I want to be in the service of God. Hey, I want, to, I want to be able to go and do what you do and travel and all of that and get to preach and all of that. That's fine if you want to serve God, and that's good. But understand, if you're going to be a servant of God and a choice servant that God can use, it always begins with submission. We see that Silas was willing to be sent. There's no service 
There is no service without submission. Some of you here tonight have served in the military. And notice we use that word serve. When you go sign up, you sign up for what? For service. Now, I'm sure we could go around the room tonight, for those of you that have served, and I'm sure that when you signed up, they let you do whatever you want, whenever you wanted it, the way that you wanted it to do, correct? They didn't tell you to cut your hair. They didn't tell you to shine your shoes. They didn't tell you to go to bed. They didn't tell you to get up. No, they did. And if you were going to be in the service, you had to submit to the will of those that you were serving. Now, understand tonight, it's no different for a Christian. If you want to serve God and be in the service of God, I mean, it's a romantic idea. Uh, there's, there's a lot of guys, bless their heart, and as I get older, I feel like I can talk about young preachers, younger preachers, okay, because I'm still somewhat young. And man, they come out of Bible college, think it's going to be great, I'm going to get a big church and insurance and cars and all of this stuff, and people are going to bring me deer meat and deer season and corn and vegetable season. It's just going to be great. Oh, buddy, have you got another one coming? Ministry is service, and service requires submission. We see that Silas was sent, and he had submission to the direction of God for his life. God owns Silas. If you want to serve God, it begins with a submission of your will to his direction. One of my college professors, as a matter of fact, I found out today that Dr. Parker's wife, Miss Jeannie Parker, taught here at Central. Isn't it amazing how life just has this big circle, the circle of life? I guess that's what that is, and it kind of all plays in together. And when he was in the military, I believe it was him, or maybe his brother, I believe it was him, he says he was stationed in Italy. They had shore leave while he was in the Navy. He decided they were going to go out and spend some time on the beaches there in Italy, beautiful beaches. And... You know, just living it up, you know, out there, and they did. And while they were out there, they got sunburned. They came back to their ship, and their commanding officer fined them for damaging government property. They fined them for getting sunburned. Why? Because they belonged in the service, you see? And they submit, they had to, I mean, sunburn's bad in and of itself. But didn't have to pay money out of your pocket for getting sunburned. You see, they were submitted to an authority. When you go into service, you belong to that. Understand this. The definition of service is this. The action of helping with or working for someone else. The action of helping with or working for someone else. Watch how this works. You want to be a choice servant? It begins, listen close, with choosing to be a servant. If you want to be a choice servant, you've got to choose service. How do you choose service? By submitting your will to the one that you're serving. There is no serving the way you want to, the when you want to, how you want to. No, when you go into service, you are submitting yourself to the one that you're serving. It's interesting. We see Silas, and Silas is always mentioned second. More times than not, he's mentioned second. But he was satisfied. Why? Because he was serving You see, there's contentment in your heart when you're doing what God's called you to do, even if you're the second man, even if you're not mentioned like the headliner. This is why Matthew 20, 27, the Bible says, whosoever will be chief among you, let him first be what? Servant. If you want to be chief, if you want to be Batman, you got to first be Robin. You want to, hey, you want to be somebody that God uses? You want to be a choice servant? Understand, you've got to submit yourself to the one that you're serving. I heard a quote today. It went like this. Most Christians wish to serve, but only in an advisory role. We're laughing because we're guilty. We want to serve God, but as an advisory role. 
You know, God, I want to serve you, but I just want to serve you by giving you my opinion. It doesn't work that way. That's not service. I, I can imagine, we'll go around the room tonight, some of you military people, they just ask how giving your opinion to your commanding officer went over. <laughs> some of you are laughing. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't go over. Why? Because in service, it's submission. And we can see the submission of Silas in the fact that he was sent. He was submitted to the direction of God for his life. We see people like Moses, and we want to be like Moses. Boy, I wish God would choose me to do something like Moses. If you're reading Exodus chapter 3, God told him this. He says, I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Notice the word again, send. God is establishing the direction for Moses. And if Moses wants to be used, Moses must be submitted to the direction of God for his life. If you will not submit to the direction of God to your life, then don't look forward to being used in much service. Because service begins with submission. What did Isaiah say? We sing about it. We hear about it. He says, here am I. Send me. Tell me where you want me to go. He says, God, I want to be used. I want to stand in the gap. I want to make up the hedge. God, I want to be used. He says, okay, send me where you want me. Can I tell you, Isaiah was ready for service. Why? Because he was submitted to the direction of God for his life. You know what the opposite tonight of, of being submitted to God's direction is? The Bible gives us a beautiful illustration of it all throughout the Old Testament. It's a single word. It's the word stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. I thought I knew what it meant, but I went back and researched it just to make sure that it was what I thought it was. And sure enough, it was they would be plowing with the oxen, and they would have the, the reins around the oxen, and they would oxen and the, and the yoke, and they're, they're trying to steer that oxen and trying to get that oxen to go in the direction they want it to go. But that oxen would decide, you know what, I don't want to go that way. I want to go that way. And that oxen would get stiff in the neck. They would try to pull him and lead him this way, and the oxen wants to go that way. That's what stiff neck comes from. That's not submitting to the direction that you're trying to be led. I want you to know that an oxen that did not submit to the direction of the one who was trying to lead it was not in service very long. That's where hamburgers come from. They got used, but they didn't get used the way they wanted to get used. Why? Because they were stiff-necked. Look, if they wanted to be in service, and they want to be kept in service, living, <laughs> then they had to submit to the direction of the one that was trying to lead them. Now, folks, if we want to be a choice servant tonight, hey, I want to be somebody that God uses. God uses those that have submitted themselves to his direction. I want you to think about, if you go to Walmart, maybe, maybe you change your own oil, but most people today, I don't, I don't really do that anymore. Say you go to Walmart and you want to get your car serviced. Go to Walmart and say, y'all have the 1995 oil change? I'm here to get the 1995 oil change. You pull up there and while you're, while you're waiting, you go shopping, you know, because that's how it works. And you fill up a cart full of stuff and you come back out and they call you on the thing, Mr. Andrews, your car is ready. You go over there and you put your keys up on the counter, and they said that will be $499.95. <clears throat> what happened? Well, we noticed that your transmission was looking a little bit, you know, out of kilter, so we flushed it for you, and we decided to go in there and put new spark plugs in and new distributor and all that. We just thought you needed that, so we did that for you. I am sure, I, unless you're a millionaire, I am quite sure that you're not going to put up with that. I am quite sure you're going to let them know that's unacceptable. 
I brought my car in here to be serviced, and I told you what I wanted done in the service, and you did something that I didn't want. That's unacceptable. Now, why is it that we go and be in the service of God, and yet, listen close, we want to do things our way other than the way he's told us that he wants it? It's unacceptable to God. I mean, some of you folks will park your car to go back into Wendy's if your burger doesn't have a slice of cheese on it that you paid for. I mean, that's called food service. And you ordered, hey, I ordered a cheeseburger, and if it doesn't have cheese on it, it's not a cheeseburger anymore. It's just a burger. This is unacceptable. And yet we offer to God what we call service, what we define service. No, if we are going to serve God in the capacity that he would desire to use us, understand tonight it begins with a submission to direction. Give you a quick example. It's kind of a dangerous example, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Turn to your right just a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to show you something. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen, this is a bedrock principle that if you want to be used of God, you're going to be used of God in His way. Second Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, be followers of me, even as I also am, a, am of Christ. So notice the direction. Be ye followers of me, as I also am of Christ. Verse 2, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now watch verse 3, okay? But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of, every, of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Can I tell you what verse 3 is really just encapsulating? It's encapsulating honor, okay? The Bible says that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. I know that's not popular, but it does not say that. Okay? And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, watch this. As the head of my house... As the husband and as the dad, it is my responsibility to submit to the authority of Christ. He is over me. That's what God says. Look, Jeremiah Andrews, you are a dad, you are a father, you are the head of your house according to the word of God. Now serve me by submitting to me as the dad and as the father. It goes on to say that my wife, several times in Scripture, I know it's not popular, but it says it in there, that my wife is to submit to the husbands. Wives, submit yourselves and your husbands as unto the Lord. So that's the service of my wife. And God says, hey, you want your home to serve me in its fullest capacity. It begins with submission. You see that? I'm submitted to God, my wife submitted to me, and my daughter is supposed to be submitted to both of us. Sometimes, you know. She acts like her mom, but other times she does all right. But you see, that's how things work. Can I tell you why so many of our homes are not working? Because the order of submission is out of order anymore. I know it's not popular, but it's in the book. And I'm going to tell you, I'd rather preach what's in the book than be popular. And look, I want your home to work. I really do. I want your marriage to work. I want your relationship with your kids to work. And the only way that it works is our submission to God's direction. But we're not submitted to God's direction. That's when things begin to fall apart. Now, here's what's interesting. I want you to see Silas's submission really uh, defined in verse number 26. I want to show you how submitted he was to God's direction. <clears throat> the Bible says that Silas going into this situation, look what he was doing. Men that have hazarded their lives 
for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word hazard means it's put themselves in danger. Silas was so submitted to God's direction for his life, he was even willing to put his life on the line to be submitted. So what do you mean to be submitted to God? If you'll hold your place, turn back just a page to chapter 13, verse 14. I want you to see something. Chapter 13, verse 14. The Bible says that when they departed, this is Paul from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers, the synagogue, sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation... Or for the people, say on. So Paul gets up and preaches, and watch what happens in verse number 50. The Bible says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. So Paul gets up and preaches this stuff, and he gets kicked out of town. Look at chapter 14 and verse 19. Paul preaches again, verse 19, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch. That's where Silas is going. And Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, threw him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So the thing that God is calling Silas to do is what just got Paul beat up. It is what got Paul kicked out of town. But Silas was so submitted to God's direction for his life that he was willing to hazard his life. Can I tell you tonight that submission supersedes circumstances? Submission supersedes circumstances. Silas knew he was going into a dangerous area and he knew that he was going to be doing a dangerous thing. But he was so submitted, his will, to God's way that he was willing to hazard his life. Can I tell you something tonight? When we are truly ready for service, circumstances cannot deter us from the will of God. When you're ready to serve, it doesn't matter the circumstances you're going into. When you're truly ready to be a servant, a chosen servant that God could use, you don't care about the circumstances. All that you care about is your service to the one who called you. Now, folks, I want you to understand tonight, if you're waiting for the stars to align before you're ready to serve God, you're going to be waiting a long time. Circumstances are probably never going to get exactly the way you want them to. I I hate to tell you, but boy, many times in my life, I have used every excuse in the book not to go soul winning. I think I saw a cloud. Oh, there was a shooting in town today. I better not get out. You know, you drive by, oh, that looked like a Rottweiler out there in their yard. I can't go up there. And we look for every reason not to. The devil will always give you a reason not to. Say not to what? Not to do whatever God's leading you to do. But if you're going to be a true servant of God and be in the service of God, understand submission to direction is essential. I heard a story about World War II, and it was when Winston Churchill was pouring all that they had into the war, there was a shortage on coal. And so he calls in all of the labor leaders from the coal industry and says, we need more coal. We need a lot of coal. We need you guys working overtime. We need you to support the war effort in in helping get as much coal as we can. As he got toward the end of his speech trying to pump up the coal miners, he says, when this war is over and after we win victory, he says, we're going to have a parade down, I forget what the name of the street was, one of the main streets there in London. 
is that we have this parade we're going to have there in the, the front. We're going to have the Navy men. And they're going to be marching down the main street, the men who kept the waterways open. And after that, we're going to have the, the Army men who fought the front over on the coast of Africa. Is that after that, we'll have the pilots who fought the Luftwaffe up in the airs of the Air Force. He said, then after them, there'll be an an army of 10,000 smutty-cheeked men wearing miners' hats. And people were asked, where were you during the time of our struggle? And here's what he told them they will reply. We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. And the men rallied up. They were excited. They were ready to serve in a capacity that no one would ever see them. But they knew that they were serving a cause that was just and a cause that was right. And they knew that their children would be influenced by their service whether people saw them in action or not. God help us tonight to have a church that's willing to serve deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. Hey, God give us an army of servants tonight who don't have to be mentioned first. God give us an army tonight of Silas's who are sold out and submitted to the will and the work of God that we don't have to be seen, we don't have to have accolades, we are simply desiring to serve our God because the cause is true and it's just and it's right and our children will inherit our efforts. God help us tonight to submit ourselves to the direction of God Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30, the Bible says he was sick, nigh unto death, listen close, to supply those that were not working his lack of service. This guy named Epaphroditus, the Bible says he was sick, nigh unto death. He was working so hard to make up all of the lost time for those that were too lazy And slothful in their ministry. And the Bible says he was nigh to death to supply their lack of service. You see, he was submitted to the direction even though the circumstances weren't favorable. So number one, being a choice servant begins with choosing service through submission to direction. Look back down, if you will, chapter 15 again to verse number 34. The Bible says, notwithstanding it pleased Silas abide there still the second thing is really important this is probably the most important point of the night the Bible says that after those men Judas and Silas they had delivered their message they had done the job the church sent them there to do verse 33 says they were let go in peace they did their job and they were done Verse 34 is interesting. It kinda, it's one of those kind of stump your toe verses where why did God put that in there Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. It means that after the mission was accomplished, Silas didn't go home. Silas decided to hang around, and you read that verse, and it says it pleased Silas to abide there still. Now, you need to look at the context of this and realize the word please doesn't mean it was a fun thing for Silas to stay. What it means is this, Silas determined Silas determined in his heart and his mind that he needed to stay. Boy, there is something beautiful here you need to see tonight. The second thing that I believe makes necessary for us to become a servant of God is sensitivity to discernment. Sensitivity to discernment. I'm going to explain that to you. 
the context of verse 34, you need to read the rest, verse 35, verse 36, 37, and 38, okay? Now, don't do it during the service. Try to pay attention, okay? Don't get in your Bible reading, catching up during church. But you'll find out that Paul and Barnabas were traveling in the same area. And you'll find out, you probably know very well, that Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. The Bible says in verse 38, Paul thought not good to take him with him. We're talking about uh, John Mark. The Bible says in verse number 39, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. Now, it doesn't take any stretch of the imagination to realize this was divine providence. That God had chosen Silas to become Paul's new running mate. That God had set aside Silas to be used of him. And Silas discerned that it was the will of God in verse, 33, uh, verse 34 that he stay there. Now, can I tell you something tonight? If you want to become a servant of God, to be used of God and a choice servant, you've got to have a sensitivity to discernment. You've got to be able to discern the will of God. Now, here's what's interesting. When it says it pleased him, it meant that Silas discerned or determined or made the judgment that he was supposed to remain. Now, what is the definition of discernment? This is beautiful. My wife and I had this conversation today. Bless her heart, I preached to her before I preached to you. And she has to hear it twice. She probably needs it twice, but she has to hear it twice too. A few weeks ago, we looked at Stephen. We talked about wisdom. And before wisdom, we talked about knowledge. Remember that? So what is knowledge we talked about? I'm sure you remember, but I'll tell you again. Knowledge is the accumulation of info, of information. Anybody can get knowledge. You go out and read books, read encyclopedias, just Google stuff. You can get an accumulation of information. And then we looked at wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the application of that information. It's when you put that information to work. And a lot of times we get discernment and wisdom mixed up, but they're not the same. Why? Because oftentimes discernment is when you make a determination in spite of what you don't know. Discernment is when you make a determination or a decision based on information that you don't even have. Look, it's easy to get knowledge. Go to a book and get it. Wisdom, we take the knowledge of the Word of God and we ask for wisdom to take the knowledge that we have to know the will of God. But sometimes not everything is written in here. Have you figured that out yet? Not everything is spelled out in Scripture. I wish it would have said in Scripture back in March and April that Jeremiah Andrews and his wife and daughter are to move to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I wish it had been spelled out. It wasn't spelled out in there. I wish it was. I wish it had been spelled out in Scripture as an 18, 19, 20-year-old young man on who my wife was going to be. I mean, I agonized over that, you know, instead of just trusting God. So there's some things tonight that we are going to need to make a decision on, a determination on, and we're not going to have all the pieces. So how do we do that? Well, we depend upon the one who does have all the pieces. This is what Silas did. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, that whether therefore you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. Now, I want you to think about that tonight, that everything we do, the Bible says, do to the glory of God. That means God has a will for everything in our life. God says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of me. So God's got a will for every part of my life. But wait a minute, it's not all written down. 
So how do we find out what God has planned and what God desires of us? It requires discernment. Where does discernment come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to your right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look down, if you would, to verse 14. The Bible says this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. How do we discern things that we don't have all the pieces for yet? How do we discern things that are part of the unwritten will of God? How do we know those things? The Bible says that they are spiritually discerned. If you desire to be a servant of God, listen, you must develop a sensitivity to the discernment of the Holy Spirit of God. How did Silas know that he needed to stay there? He just flip a coin and says, you know, I like the weather here. The temperature's great and the people were kind of nice. I'm going to hang around here. No, he had discernment of the Holy Spirit of God. There's some things that are only going to be discerned spiritually. Now, aren't you glad that I can glorify God in every aspect of my life, even in things that may not be printed out in black and white and red and white, if I have a sensitivity to the discernment of the Holy Spirit of God? There are things as a parent. Boy, you know, those kids when they're born, a lot of things you don't know. Uh, There's a lot of things after I got married that I didn't know. But aren't you glad there's a Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that does know? And if I'll get close to him and be sensitive to him, that the Holy Spirit of God will help me to know the will of God, even if it's not in print. Understand this tonight, folks. If we're going to become a servant of God, we must get well acquainted with the Holy Spirit of God to be able to discern and to understand, as the Bible says, what the will of the Lord is. You look up the word discern, the, the Greek word means to separate. It means to separate from what is good and from what is evil and from what is, uh, what is better and from what is best. I thought about my wife. She, she loves to cook, loves to bake, things like that, and baked a big cake for the, the Lighthouse Couples Fellowship Saturday. And sometimes she'll take these eggs. She'll crack this egg open, and she'll start doing like this with the egg. I didn't know what she was doing. I thought she was playing with it. And so, what are you doing? You know, just, I was like a slinky, you know, just playing with, don't play with your food, you know. Couldn't find out she was separating the, the white from the yolk. She says, if I'm going to make, is it meringue? Is that the word? Meringue, the white fluffy stuff? Yeah, meringue. She needs the whites, not those yellow parts, you know. And so, she sits there and she works with it, works with it. What is she doing? She's separating the parts she needs from the parts she doesn't need. Now, can I tell you, there's a lot of things that are going to come your way in life. And it's not going to be printed out in there, thou shalt not or thou shalt. And you're going to need discernment. And the Holy Spirit of God will help you to know what you need and what you don't need. But you've got to be sensitive to it. You've got to be close enough to the Holy Spirit of God that some of these things where you might call a gray area that the Holy Spirit of God discerns for us clearly. There's not as many gray areas as we think there are in the world. If you just get along with the Holy Spirit of God and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's discernment. I've told you many times, one chapter over, I'll read it for you because we're right here in Acts chapter 16. Verse number 6, Paul was on his journey. The Bible says in verse number 6, they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, Paul was not trying to decide between good or evil. 
I mean, preaching the gospel in both places was a good thing. But one thing was better and one thing was best. By the way, the, the, the will of God is always best. It's always what's best. And so Paul had to discern, which way do I go? Well, it's not in Scripture whether Paul should go unto Phrygia or Galatia or, or, or Asia. How did he know? How did he know what to do? Holy Spirit discernment, verse 6. You look at verse number 7. And they were come to Mysia. They essayed, or they desired, that means to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. There was, God did not print off Paul a map of where to go. Paul had to depend upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, folks, the Holy Spirit, John uh, chapter 16, the Bible says, the Spirit of truth is come. He will guide us in all truth. That's the Holy Spirit that lives in your heart and mind. He wants to guide us in all truth. Aren't you glad he used the word all? That means I don't have to flip a coin or consult the magic eight ball. We joke about that. There's a lot of us that live that way. You know, get a lucky rabbit's foot or a four-leaf clover or you flip a coin or, you know, you check your horoscope. Really? When we have a Holy Spirit of God who knows all truth, and the Bible says that when he's come and he's come, he will guide us in all truth. But you've got to be sensitive to it. That's the problem today. I, I fear that we're not guidable. Do you know why we're not guidable? Because we go back to number one, we haven't submitted to his direction. As a matter of fact, the reason we're not guidable by the Holy Spirit of God in all truth is because genuinely, can I tell you what the truth is about it tonight? We really don't want to hear it. Have you ever not prayed for something because you already knew what the answer was? I have. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit, don't even waste your breath. Don't, you know, you're, you're not going to get a new Corvette, you know. Hey, remember Brother AJ? It ain't going to happen. Remember the AJ, we were riding together to the ball games. We watch every Corvette that passes by. Holy Spirit, no, don't, 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 don't go there. Folks, the reason we're not guided in all truths is because, number one, we can't hear the Holy Spirit of God because we're not sensitive to him. And number two, I don't know that we really want to be sensitive to him. It's the second thing tonight. He was sensitive to discernment. Discernment helps us conclude the unwritten will of God. Discernment helps us conclude the unwritten will of God. If, he's, if we're supposed to glorify him in everything that we do, then we need to know how he wants it done, and his spirit will show us how to do that. The last thing is in verse 34. The Bible says, notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. So we see he was submitted to God's direction. He was sensitive to discernment. The third thing is really interesting. That last part, the Bible says, it pleased Silas to abide there still. What does that mean? That means Silas was content to stay put where the Holy Spirit of God had led him. The third thing that I believe is essential to becoming a choice servant and being in the service of God is satisfaction and diligence. Silas had satisfaction in his diligence. You know, verse 33, the Bible says they were let go in peace. Silas could have gone home. Silas was given his uh, freedom, if you will, to go back. The message was delivered. But Silas chose to hang around. You see, Silas was more invested in being faithful than being finished. He was more invested with being faithful to what the Holy Spirit of God had made known to him than to just get finished. I'm going to tell on myself again right here. Many times I've gone out soul winning. I remember once in Monroe, which was not too many years ago, 
The week had gotten busy. I didn't get to go out with the guys on Thursday. I didn't get to go out with anybody on Saturday, uh, Saturday morning. And, and so here it is, church time is going to be rolling around in just a few hours. And I haven't knocked the first door that week. And well, something's just kind of churning on the inside. That's called the Holy Spirit. You know, you hadn't got out there and knocked any doors this week. So I jumped in my car, drove down the road, Highway 594, and just looked for an easy house. There's one. Like a nice little old lady out there raking her yard. She's going to be nice to me, you know. At least I can probably run faster than her if she does get after me anyway. So, you know, I just pulled up on in there. I'm Brother Andrews from Bayou Baptist Church. I just want to stop and invite you to church. I'm going to have a church home. Yeah, I go to so-and-so. All right, amen. Well, if you ever have a chance, come see us. I got back in my car, started heading toward the house. There was a part of me that was appeased. My carnal conscience was appeased. But I knew that my father was not pleased. Silas was not interested in appeasing his conscience, saying, I came, I did my job, and I'm done. Now I get back to my real life. Silas wasn't there to appease his conscience. He was there to please his God. Now, can I tell you something, folks? If you desire to be used of God in his service, you must get to the place where you're satisfied with being diligent to the will of God of where he's called you. I know what it's like to be somewhere, I want to go somewhere else. Everybody's always wanting to climb the ladder, move somewhere bigger and somewhere better. But boy, I'll tell you, my dad taught me a very valuable lesson as a teenager, as a 20-something-year-old preacher. We're at the end of a dirt road in Carson. You know, we don't even have a Walmart there. We've got a Dollar General about three miles away. Not a whole lot at the end of the road. And I remember going to my dad saying, Dad, boy, you know, if we had more youth, I could do this. If we had a bigger church, we could do this and all this. And he taught me a bedrock principle that I'll never forget. He said, if you can't find fulfillment in the will of God where he's called you, you'll never find it anywhere. Finding fulfillment in the will of God and the place where he's called you. If he's called you to the end of a dirt road, if he's called you to Africa, if he's called you to be a faithful man and woman of God uh, in a Bible-preaching church, hey, let's find satisfaction in knowing we are where God called us to be and let's stick it out there. I love when we read in Acts chapter 16 where the Bible says in verse 25, Paul and Silas have been thrown in jail. The Bible says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. I love the fact that the Bible says that Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises. Look, Silas is sticking right there with him. He could have said, you got me into this mess. I've been following you around, and you didn't got me arrested. And you're over here singing like a loony band in prison. Nope, the Bible says Silas is praying and singing with him. You see, he was sticking with what God called him to do. He found satisfaction knowing that he was doing what the Holy Spirit of God had led him to do. And until you find satisfaction doing what God called you to do, you'll never find it anywhere. You can go to a bigger church. You can find a better preacher. You can find a church with more fun. But you'll never be satisfied until you're doing and committed to be diligent to what God's called you to do. 1 Corinthians 4, I told the Sunday school teachers in the meeting a while ago, we were talking about faithfulness and encouraging our teachers to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, the Bible says, moreover, it's required. Notice that word required. The Bible says that a steward be found faithful. What is a steward? It's a servant. It's required. God says, I need you to be faithful. I need you to to stick with it through thin, through thick, through good times, through bad times. Look, when you're preaching and everybody's amening, and when you're in prison, I need you to stick with it. That is satisfaction in diligence. So what are we looking at tonight in closing? Everybody wants to be a choice servant. 
But it begins with you choosing to be a servant. Choosing to be a servant. How do you become a servant? Number one, submission to God's direction. Silas is a beautiful picture of a servant because he was sent. And they sent, and they sent, and they sent. Can I ask you tonight, are you sendable? Can God send you where and when he wants to? You want to be a choice servant, you've got to choose to be a servant through submission of direction. Maybe tonight, you've gotten to the place to where it's come, become old and mechanical. And maybe the circumstances aren't necessarily what you would want them to be. Can I tell you tonight, don't wait on the circumstances. You just decide tonight that I'm going to serve and be faithful where God's called me. There's a sensitivity to discernment and then the satisfaction of diligence. These are things that must be found in a servant. And oh, how we see Silas singing in the prison at midnight. Wouldn't you love to know that you're where God called you to be, doing what God called you to do so much that you could sing even on the bad days? That's what happens when you've been sensitive to the Holy Spirit and obedient to what he's called you to do. Heads are bowed tonight, eyes are closed.